Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. I really enjoyed that conversation with Steve and Michelle about the uh, revitalization project for the uh, high water mark in Bay St. Louis. I think it's going to be a wonderful gateway coming in from I-10 into downtown Bay St. Louis to kind of give people a great flavor of what to expect who have not been to downtown Bay St. Louis before. If you're interested in that, you know, do, do some research, reach out to them. They're doing this call for artists. I think it's going to be super cool. Hey, I have another quote I want to share with you. It's from my friend Susan Griggs. Uh, we used to work together. Uh, she was uh, she was uh, an editor at the Keesler News, and uh, we published it at the Sun Herald. And we we you know, we worked together for many years. And both of us in retirement, we stay in touch through Facebook. But she posted this: "There's a thin line between confidence and arrogance. It's called humility. Confidence smiles." arrogance smirks <laughs> that's true that's true you know the the uh i often say that the more we learn the more we better learn how much we don't know that 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 recognizing that life is a journey of discovery and the older you get the more you better realize that that's what humility is all about so a guy who i know who is not uh, arrogant at all <laughs> but who has had some good confidence on this show throughout the pandemic is my friend, Dr. Nicholas Conger, who's an infectious disease doctor at Memorial, and he's become a good friend over the last couple of years. So it's been a while since we chatted, uh, Nick. It's good to see you, my friend. Hey, it's good to see you too. Thank you for that nice introduction. It has been a while, and I, I pray that I'm smiling and not smirking over here. <laughs> Yeah, you, 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 I've never known you to be a smirker. That is for sure. Um, you know, I, th- I tell you that the pandemic, if you just go back over the last couple of years, it, it's humbling. That, I mean, to, to be to be taught how to deal with a pandemic, to be an infectious disease doctor and to see the many faces of COVID over the last couple of years. It's been a it's been a a, a journey of discovery, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, that's certainly right. And um, things are changing so fast. And so I think even on your show, I've hesitated to predict because, uh, you know, we just didn't know what was around the corner with this virus. And we, we can make educated guesses, but but things have changed so much. And we're in this information age where people want instant information and sometimes it's not there. And so sometimes the void gets filled with opinion. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, another point to make is that you know, this virus right now is so different than it was two years ago. And I was thinking back about it. You know, in the military, we talk about you don't want to fight the last war. You want to fight the next war. So you don't want to gear your military towards what it was like in World War II. You want to look forward. And and I feel like some of that's going on with COVID where people are still fighting the last variant. No, man, things have changed. This is a completely new, different variant. And we got to change all of our strategies, you know, individually at the patient level and public health wise, because things are changing that fast. Well, you know, I talked a little bit about this the last time we were together, but you've maintained from the very beginning that if this runs the natural course of a pandemic, that the next iteration from Delta could be more contagious but less deadly. Um, We talked about the really almost, I don't know, the, the very difficult, let me put it that way, position the CDC found itself in by trying to create a one-size-fits-all scenario. Right. And Delta couldn't have been any, man, Delta and Omicron, but that, that, the iteration from one to the next, very different kind of virus, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely very different. And, uh, um, you know, Delta was kind of a, uh, a minor variation, but a much more deadly variation on those first strains and had an ability to evade the vaccine a little bit, uh, but you still got a decent benefit sometimes in preventing or decreasing the Ill severity of illness, whereas the Omicron had so many changes on the surface or so many changes in the way that it was um, brought into the body that it just completely evaded all the vaccine um, you know, protection from preventing infection and preventing spread. Still, you know, people did get protected from severe disease, but it just was so contagious. Just, I mean, I, I think I saw something that said 140 times more contagious than the alpha and the and the gamma strains. There were some of the earlier strains. And so, I mean, that's incredible. And much milder. Say it again. And much milder too, you know. Much milder. Still, you look at the numbers because, again, you're talking about so many infections. And what we don't know is the number of home tests that have been taken or people right. who just thought they had a, the sniffles and didn't get tested. So we really don't know the true numbers. Have there actually been any any you know, official estimates beyond the testing of how many people got the Omicron virus? You know, not what I not not from what I saw. And I kind of um, kind of took the stance of, uh, but you know, I'm just, you know, one kind of voice out here in the wilderness, though. But I kind of took the stance that we were emphasizing too much the testing. Omicron hit was so prevalent. And we're testing people coming to the hospital. Almost everyone tests positive when they're coming in for other things. And it's so widespread. You know, and I heard people, you know, on the national news and stuff saying, you know, we got to test and isolate, test and isolate. Well, that wasn't working. This was so contagious. And I was of the opinion of, well, what do we do like when the flu is widespread? At some point you stop testing, you say, hey, you probably got the flu. And it was at a point where I think you can make a clinical diagnosis. You have the classic symptoms. I don't know why we were maintaining this. Therefore, because you're sick, you got to get in a car and drive somewhere and get tested. All that does is make you go somewhere and expose more people when it's pretty obvious that's what you have. So, again, I'm comfortable with, hey, there's a lot more cases out there. We may not be able to quantify it because it's so widespread and because it's so mild. I'm emphasizing that some people still do get sick. Some people are still dying from COVID, but the numbers are so much lower. To me, we should have backed off from this, this uncontrollable urge to test. Yeah, it was interesting. Even though the, the data from South Africa early on, and you and I talked about this, was suggesting more contagious, less deadly. The CDC didn't change its tune. The national news media didn't change its tune. And part of the thing that I think made this more, more sort of compelling for them was that there was this moment where the northern states, the southern states have been sort of overcome by Delta and, you know, hotel, uh, hotel hospitals have been filled up, et cetera. And then it slowly, even though those like you always said, that it didn't matter if you locked down or not, eventually it's going to run its course. And we saw Delta, as Omicron was starting to come into the south, you saw Delta starting to take hold in the, in the northern part. It was almost impossible to craft a message that fit both. So right. I guess they just went with the more severe you know, situation because, you know, Delta, when it was taking home, was a very, it was what we experienced here in the, in the South. But what a, I mean, almost like a windless scenario for the CDC in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree. And I think we've talked about this, you know, this kind of top down, one size fits all mentality for this outbreak, I think has been wrong from the very beginning. And, and it would have been nice if there's more collaboration. And some of these some of the governors in different states, you know, had it right based on what was going on in their states at the time. And, and um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that brings me up to that. I don't know if you saw that Johns Hopkins study on the uh, lockdowns. Um, interesting. Yeah, to I me, did. It was written by economists. 
And because yeah. I think the doctors are still scared to speak up and say, hey, I think we got this wrong. You know, I think there's a still a little reluctance to speak up, which is a shame. Uh, but it was written by economists that looked at the data from an economic standpoint and showed the very, very marginal benefit from lockdowns, but severe repercussions. So there was always that balance, you know, always that balance. And so it's easy to Monday morning quarterback a lot of decisions made um, on both sides of the uh, kind of the political spectrum and the and the thought process. Yeah, I mean, early on, I mean, we, it's easy to forget, and a lot of people do forget this, incidentally. But early on, we didn't really know what we were dealing with, and it was uh, it was kind of a scary moment. Right. And uh, but as we learned more and got more experience, we knew for for sure that we had to protect the elderly and the vulnerable. I mean, you you never ever came off of that. You still believe that that's that's extremely important. Um, you know, you still hear you know of elderly people dying today unfortunately right. uh, because even the omicron variant is unforgiving to if you have pre-existing situations that's yeah, still right. true right yeah and one of the you know the point to emphasize there is still going on is is the kids you know um and obviously i have children and I, I care about kids no one wants to see kids die from the very beginning this virus showed that it was devastating in the elderly and those with severe medical problems not so much in kids. Now we find, you know, I still run into people. I still run into doctors that say, I'm scared my kids are going to catch it. And my answer is why? I'm scared you're going to catch it, not your kids. Your kids are going to be fine. Yeah. They're not yeah. big vectors. And still, now we have in a country, we have all the kids masks in school and nowhere else. And it, some of these things don't make sense to me. You know, it never really was a severe risk for kids to begin with. Even with Delta, it was over-exaggerated. There were, obviously, I mean, any death of a child is tragic, but compared to the flu, even so much less mortality for children and, and so much more for the elderly. And so I do think that there was room to, to really craft our, our national and our local plans towards protecting the vulnerable and letting the less vulnerable have life as, as normal as possible. You know, what's interesting, I mean, even this week, you see, you see petitions by pharmaceutical companies to get emergency use of, uh, of vaccines for very young kids. And you see national media interviewing parents who just can't get to, get to the doctor fast enough to get their kids vaccinated and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, we've, we've been reticent. You know, we, we've right. been reticent for our grandkids to, to not rush down that, that road. Um, that's kind of still where you are, isn't it? Yeah, you know, um, I think everything should be a risk benefit situation. Clear benefit in the elderly, clear benefit in the middle age, especially with multiple medical problems. Not so clear benefit in the healthy young adults, really not so clear benefit for teenagers. And well, you'd really have to show me that there's a clear benefit for the younger kids. So I really think that this should be a informed decision by parents individually. I really would hate to see a top-down mandate when natural infection may provide better, broader immunity and and and, uh, and and not not maybe not even as much risk as a vaccine that is very low risk. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Nicholas Conger and uh, continue the conversation. See you after this. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. We have Dr. Nicholas Conger, an infectious disease doctor from Memorial. Nick, the last time you and I talked, it's been a, a while ago, and one of the things I asked you during the break, 
you know, specific to me. I wanted just to get your opinion about something I've talked to my doctor about. And that is after I had COVID and then I had two Pfizer shots. After COVID, I had uh, a bout with uh, premature atrial contractions, which unfortunately I still kind of deal with. When I got the vaccine, it sort of reoccurred again. And um, it's just something I've had to deal with. Very healthy, still very active, very focused on my physical health, et cetera. But it's just something I had to deal with. And you said, okay, if you've had COVID and you've had at least two of the, the shots, you probably have pretty, pretty extreme immunity. And uh, not long after that, and I want to read to you something that I read, uh, just one, one quick sentence. In addition, there are some data suggesting that COVID-19 infection followed by vaccination may provide extremely strong immunity, but we just do not have enough data to know whether this is a, a, a can substitute for vaccine booster or not. Since then, even more people are weighing in that if you've had COVID and had the vaccine, especially if you have a situation like I have where you've had just kind of underlying I didn't have any heart issues prior to getting COVID, but the lingering, I mean, I'm reading a lot more about heart arrhythmia being it's sort of part of the, if there's a long COVID related to your heart, that that's one of them. Right. I don't know how much you've had to deal with that since the last time you and I talked, but I've been uh, reticent to get the booster because of that. And I feel pretty comfortable where I am in the, in the process. Right. You know, and so again, that's been a point of frustration for myself and many clinicians, um, the silence on uh, the benefit of natural immunity. And we all knew it was there and we all knew it was very effective. And, um, you know, a combination of natural infection and vaccination, you know, is probably best, better than either or. Um, and natural, you know, and and we say, well, we don't know how long it lasts. Well, you know, we don't know how long the vaccine lasts. And so, you know, the emphasis has been on vaccination, vaccination, as if that's the only form of immunity. And I really wish that, again, there was some more nuance there. We should have been more worried about immunity, who had immunity. We could measure it with spike protein yeah. levels, with antibody levels. We could measure people's immunity. And that always should have been a viable substitution for vaccination, in my mind, because that's yeah. the same end. That's what we're going for. And so the fact that that was completely ignored, it's understandable why a segment of the population is really upset about that. So that's I what guess. I care about is people not getting sick and dying. I don't care what pathway they got there. You've been fighting in the trenches there at Memorial for two years now. What's the latest on therapeutics there? So one of the interesting things about the older therapeutics that I'm glad you asked. So one of the things I'm noticing, so during that Delta surge, we were using things like remdesivir and tocilizumab. One's an antiviral, one's an anti-inflammatory. And there were some studies that showed some, some subtle, uh, mild benefit. And, you know, at times I was questioning whether we were really doing any good. You know, are, we, are these drugs really helping? Because so many people went on to get more sick and die. And it just seemed like maybe these drugs really don't do anything, but some studies came out that said, yeah, they are beneficial, you know, especially when given early or in the right situation. The interesting thing with this new strain, uh, Ricky, is that these drugs really seem to work better. Like, because it's a milder strain, maybe Delta was just so overwhelming at the way it hit the lungs, and this one is not near, you know, it doesn't even get in the lungs as well. And so, you know, when we bring people in who have moderate illness and we give them these therapeutics, they're doing a lot better, like two or three days on remdesivir and they feel great. And we weren't seeing, we weren't, it wasn't that visible to the eye with that last uh, surge. And there's yeah, also, so yeah, and it's all right to go on, but there's also some newer oral medications. That one, Paxlovid, you know, that's a, um, that's a really good drug. It's got a 90% reduction in hospitalization and death. And we got to get early, got to get within the first five days, but you know, we have some. So we're trying to restrict it to the people who are at most risk to advance to severe disease. But certainly, if you're newly diagnosed and you're at risk, ask your provider about that new oral medication. It's pretty good, too. 
So part of the issue with several of these therapeutics was that if you gave them later in the process, in other words, once someone became severely ill, was in the ICU, they had limited impact. Do you find with the Omicron, they still have limited impact in advanced stages or maybe they, they work somewhat so, better? Yeah, still, still some limited um, impact in late stages, but still better than Delta. You know, like that tocilizumab, we kind of give that right when everything's exploding and their, their oxygen requirements are, are skyrocketing and they're in this massive inflammatory phase. And, you know, the data on that was you gave it to 25 people and you might save one life, which still, I mean, I'd still give to 25 people hoping to save one life, but but it was even later in the stage and they turned around, which we didn't, it wasn't always that obvious with the Delta strain. And the next day they say, hey, I feel great. Can I go home? And you're like, well, wait a minute. We thought you were headed to the ventilator yesterday. You know, so, so we are seeing uh, even later um, some better outcomes. Maybe it's just because the virus, again, is more mild and they were going to get better anyway. You never know. But it does seem to correlate with using these drugs. What next? What are you hearing about other strains? I don't know. You know, I haven't heard a whole lot about other strains. Uh, you know, this <laughs> this strain was so contagious. Like I said, 140 times more contagious than the original strain. You, you would, for a new strain to take over, it would have to be even more contagious and simultaneously evade all that natural immunity that's out there now with this one and all that vaccine immunity. Um, so I'm kind of I'm kind of hopeful. Hopeful. I don't like to predict that we're in the new, like, you know, maybe a new subtle strain comes through. And as the as the herd immunity wanes, it might get a decent part part of the population sick. I'm hoping it kind of ends more like seasonal flu, like we talked about from the very beginning. But you never know with this virus. Uh, I wouldn't bet for it and I wouldn't bet against it. Well, for that reason, we'll stay in touch with you. You've been a practical mind. A, a confident practical mind never arrogant as i said at the beginning of the show you are you've been a terrific informer for all of coastal mississippi and, and beyond since this thing started and we appreciate your friendship and we'll stay in touch with you my friend yeah that sounds great thanks for having me back take care this has been dr nicholas conger and uh he's an infectious disease doctor at memorial have a great day we'll see you later Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.